our life and of course we know even those thoughts Lord are thoughts of the flesh the world and the devil for you're good you are a consuming fire and the, and, and the results of a consuming fire consuming a, the life of a Christian is, is we get better and <laughs> life gets better Lord, I pray that we would not wrestle in our minds. Can I pray that prayer? When we know, yes, you are God and you're also good. You are love. Anything that you touch with your consuming fire, the baptism of fire is a good thing. It's beyond good. It's a great thing. So Lord, I pray that you'd give us enough trust in you that we can pray that prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad you're here this morning. We are starting a a sermon series today. And uh, as each week we look at these three chairs, we'll kind of flesh out a little bit more each time, kind of what this is all about. But I, I, uh, I want to I point out the fact that anytime we have a spiritual breakthrough in our life, there's two things that happen that bring about that breakthrough. Number one is an awareness. First, we have to be aware of where we currently are. But then number two is there's got to be action. If there's no action involved, no breakthrough will happen. But we all recognize that there's areas in our lives that I, I like to call them mile markers in which God did something here. And I was forever changed from that point forward. And so I've got mile markers in my life. I can take you to exact place and time in my mind where, where, where something happened there. It was usually uh, an awareness of my current condition, but then there was a commitment from this point forward. And so there, there's things in our lives that I'm sure you're aware of too that, that, that God did something in me there, but it first became with an awareness of where I am and then a decision of what I need to do, and then I took action. Are y'all with me? All right, here's how this is going to get better. Y'all got to talk to me, all right? Y'all talk to me this morning. So this morning we're going to be looking at the three chairs, and uh, I want to just kind of explain to you what's going on with these chairs. And this chair, we're going to call it just first chair, second chair, third chair, and we're going to talk about first chair living. First chair living is the living the life of one who is completely committed to the Lord. Amen? This person is completely committed to the Lord and wants to live a life that is in intimacy with the Lord and, and, and basically 
when I talk about lordship, it is what God says goes. Amen? All right, and this chair this is the, the chair of compromise. We call it second chair. And unfortunately, it is this chair that the majority, this is what's sad, the majority of Christians sit in this chair. The great majority of Christians sit in this chair. And this chair this is not even a Christian at all. In fact, the Bible says that we are at enmity with God when we have separated ourselves from Him with our sin. And so this person is in conflict, and they're in conflict with God without even knowing it, but they're also in conflict within themselves. And, 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 and they feel it sometimes, sometimes they don't. It's just kind of life goes by day. And, and so we want to look at the three chairs today. What you'll find in the Scriptures is that probably from this point forward, as you read the Bible, you will begin thinking three chairs. Because we see it over and over through the, through the Bible, but we even see it sometimes in life. I've been doing ministry now for a while, and, and I can tell you I have seen this played out in people's lives. Where, where a parent maybe just totally committed to the Lord, and, 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 the, and the next generation a little less, and, and then not at all. So let's look in the book of, of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, I love the book of Joshua. Uh, just kind of catching you up. Uh, if you don't know much about the Bible, please don't feel intimidated when you come to this church. Please don't feel intimidated to bring your Bible. Please don't int feel intimidated to not know where to be able to find a scripture because we all start somewhere sometime. Amen. So I need you to know that when you come here, I'm going to be talking as if no one knows anything about this book because I want everybody to know something about this book. Amen. And so we're going to look in the book of Joshua. Joshua is uh, the sixth book of the Bible, so it's early uh, in, in your scriptures. And what's going on here in this book is the nation of Israel were in captivity in Egypt, and the Lord had brought them out using a man named Moses. This is the book of Exodus. And then they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years after receiving the law of God on Mount Sinai, and, and they, they refused to go into the promised land because of a lack of, of faith. And so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally after that 40 years passed and those of unbelief had died in the wilderness, there's a young man named Joshua. And he has been uh, kind of under the leadership of Moses. And now the mantle is passed to him. And, and he is now leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. Now, I need you to understand what's going on in this promised land. It was intended by God for his people to dwell there. And yet it was filled with a bunch of pagan people that did some very ungodly things. And, and when you get involved with, uh, with some liberal mindset, they say, was that genocide that's going on in the book of Joshua? Is God harsh and cruel because there's a people group being moved out of this country? I need you to understand that that is not who our God is. Our God is a pure and loving God. And because of his purity and his love for his children, there was some stuff that needed to be moved out of that land. If you had a child, you had a, a young daughter, you wouldn't just be okay with her living in the house with a pedophile, a convicted pedophile. You'd be, you'd be no, we got to move him out. We got to move him out so I can have my daughter there. And, and here's a, a group of people, they, they did some awful stuff like uh, when they worshipped the, the demon god Molech, they would throw their children alive into a fire. And they, they thought that the, the cruelty that they would display would, would appease that God and he would, be, uh, he would bless them in fruitfulness. Or, or they would have the Asherah poles and, and they would have their, 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 their prostitutes who would uh, commit these lewd acts in order to bring more 
produce in their land or they would do all kinds of crazy uh, hurtful things and God says you got to go and so Joshua is the the leader of the people and he's coming along and he's moving these people out and so he said I will follow the ways of the Lord because God intended for the nation of Israel to bless the entire world with showing how good he is to know how good God is you get over here in this chair you'll find out and so Joshua was a man who was committed to the Lord and so if you look with me in Joshua chapter 23 book about his life we'll actually start in verse one now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old advanced in age in case you didn't know what old meant it means advanced in age all right and in verse two and Joshua called for all Israel for their elders I need you to catch this for their elders these spiritual leaders Joshua called for all Israel for their elders for their heads for their judges for their officers and said to them I'm old advanced in age <laughs> so he's just letting you know I'm, I'm old sorry now he is now saying that I'm about to die and he is trying to hand down some direction for these next people and so we're gonna look at Joshua the elders and the children of the elders verse 11 therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God Joshua was one who loved the Lord his God and he was totally committed to the Lord his God and he knew that there would be those coming after him and tried to encourage them. You make sure that you love the Lord. Amen? I, I want to encourage you to love the Lord. Chapter uh, 24, verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods. Catch this. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. I love that verse of scripture. He says, I've made a decision. I've made a commitment. I'm not backing up. This, by the way, that verse of scripture is on my front door of my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, I've already made the decision. And you don't have to question it because I know what I'm going to do. Verse 23. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Did you see that? They're still holding on to some of them. Whether they... Whether they they have the little idols in their pocket. Uh, I've actually seen them there in Israel. They, these little gods that they make themselves and, and, and they, they would carry them with them, these little, these little fetish gods. And, and whether it be those or the gods of the land that we now moved into. And see, this was the mindset of the people there, that gods were over territories. In fact, the New Testament tells us that that's actually true. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. There are demonic spirits over territories. Satan has strategy too. And so there's demonic spirits over territories. And those demonic spirits would lead people to worship them through pagan and idolatry. And, and so there's these I, I, idolatrous, lewd acts that they would do. And, and God's people were already beginning to take on some of this stuff. And so Joshua says in verse 23, Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God 
we will serve and his voice we will obey. Amen? I said, we're going to do it. If you keep reading, Joshua says, you can't do it. <laughs> and he says, unless, unless God be amongst you, you're not going to be able to do it. And they said, we're going to do it. And now we get down here to verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Amen. Y'all with me? All the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So now it says in the scriptures that the nation of Israel, they served the Lord. They were committed. Joshua was committed. And so he hands down uh, encouragement to the elders. And he said, I want you to serve the Lord the way we served the Lord before. And so they said, we're going to do it. And they did. But I want you to now turn to the next book, probably the page over, the book of Judges. And Judges, it begins to see, you begin to see this next generation. Here's Joshua. Here's the elders. And they were serving the Lord. Mostly. Mostly. He served the Lord wholly. W-H-O-L, however you spell it. Sorry. He served the Lord, Lord completely, and they served the Lord mostly. And so what we see in the book of Judges is they begin to actually kind of, uh, we, we, we don't actually kick them all out. In fact, the scriptures tell us that they couldn't push some of them out for they were kind of stubborn. So in Judges chapter 1, it says in verse 27, However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or to Anak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of, they begin to think, did they drive out anybody? They, they defeated them, but did they push them out? Did they drive them out, or they just allowing them to stay? And so uh, it, it just goes on, village after village after village, verse 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. What is this saying? What, is it, what does this mean? It says, well, they, they were, this was, we got them defeated. We got them defeated, so do we really have to drive them out? In fact, we might find them actually a little bit useful. In fact, if they would cut our firewood, if they would move our, our stones and, and work for us, then, then we could actually use them. And, and how am I relating this to the life of an individual believer? Well, I didn't actually, I, I defeated that area in my life. But, you know, if it's defeated then I don't really want to remove it completely from my life because I got control now. I, I'm doing pretty good. In fact, I think I could still enjoy it and not lose control. I, I still want to do those things that I did before Christ. I, I just, I can control myself now. I, I think I can, I can have it work for me rather than me work for it. And so here's what's going on in the nation of Israel. And it says that they did not drive them out. They did not drive them out. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwell in Gezer. The Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. And it just goes down the list. It goes on and on. It goes the same story over and over. Yes, they, they whooped them. But now since they're whooped, why not just let them stay? Well, here's why. Verse 10 of chapter 2. When all that generation, this one, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means they died. One of these days I'll be gathered to my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, and a little cemetery 
between Bethel and Eustace. Y'all know where that's at, right? Cottonwood Cemetery. I've already got my spot. I'll be laying over there with them one of these days. I'll be gathered to them, gathered with them over yonder in Cottonwood, but also up there with heaven, in, in heaven with them. That's what this means. It's just a Bible way of saying, he done killed over dead. That's what happened. So when all the generation had, gathered, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. You see it? This is the natural progression. From one who is completely committed to the Lord. There is no hand-me-down faith that is actually going to last. Now I'm going to tell you, when I, I mentioned my, my great-grandfather, I, I know my, I, I have an aunt who did our family history, and I, as far back as we can tell, there have been Jesus followers all along the way. Amen. That's exciting to me. I remember when my dad got saved. And I remember the life transformation that happened in our family when he got saved. I was a little guy, but I, I remember that everything changed in our household. And I remember he became a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I remember in that little small church in Walton, Texas, that, that, that he, things changed in him. I recall it as a, probably a five-year-old boy. I also knew that my granddad was a passionate follower on both sides. Passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I have one granddad who's mostly blind, mostly deaf, but every Sunday you're going to find him holding the doors open at Calvary Baptist Church in Trinidad, Texas. And at his funeral, I remember, I was a young guy, but I remember at his funeral that scripture was read, I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord our God. And there he was. That was his. And so it does not have to be this way. But I am going to tell you this. Unless one is committed it will be. Unless, there's no hand-me-down faith that will last. You will drift this direction. And so we see it all through the Scriptures. Joshua, the elders, and then the children of the elders. Joshua served the Lord. They followed Joshua. And then they didn't follow either one of them. We, we need to understand what this looks like. This is a person, an individual who is completely serving the Lord out of an intimacy and a love for Him? We're going to call it. We're going to unfold this each week. We're going to kind of see ourselves in these chairs, and we're going to talk about this one right here: the life in the in in the first chair. The gal who is in in the first chair. Our illustration for the purpose of this sermon series. Her name is Julia. She's a single single mom of two, thirty-five year old single mom of two. And this one here is Ernie. He is a married uh, man with three daughters who are teenage daughters. And then we have, yeah, uh-oh, right. I, know. I, got a, I got a brother with four. What a mess. <laughs> and then here's Kate. And Kate is a, a single young lady, not yet been married, but she has got her career underway, and she is doing fine in this world. How does, how does Julia see her relationship with God. If she were to picture her relationship with God, it would be more like her and God sitting in rocking chairs on the back porch watching the sun go down. And the sweet, 
time with the Lord. How does Ernie picture his relationship with God? Well, God's a good advisor, and he's a blesser, and he's a protector. All that true? Yeah, all that's true. But do you see the difference? This is an intimate fellowship with the Lord. This is, this is a closeness. This is a little more distant. And how does, how does Kate see God? Well, Kate, would, if in this relationship kind of a thing, maybe she's a microorganism in a sea of microorganisms, and there's God out there, but does it really matter? You see, here's one who has a relationship with the Lord, but not just relationship, but fellowship. Intimacy. Here's one who has a relationship. He's invited Jesus Christ into his life to save him. But I would not say there's lordship there. In fact, Ernie sits on the throne of his life, not Jesus. And in this one, well, God's more of a concept than anything else. He's out there and, 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 and there's religion, but when it comes to religion, I think that's mostly used by preachers to get money. So therefore, I'm quite skeptical, and so I'm just going to keep that at a distance. And so you kind of see the difference. And, and I want you to know everyone in this room is in one of these three chairs. Everyone's in one of these three chairs. Oh, your life may not be exactly like Julia. In fact, her life was uh, kind of upheaved by a, a husband leaving her. Her husband left her with her two kids. And, and uh, yes, it kind of caused things to shake in, their life, in her life a little bit. But you know what? It didn't uproot from the foundation that it was already on. Because she had her faith on Jesus Christ, and that did not change. And the job that she conceived in her mind that was her job as a mother, it did not change, and that is to raise her children up in the ways of the Lord. And even when he left, and he couldn't hang around to be the dad that he was meant to be, it did not change her role. She continued to serve the Lord. She continued intimacy with the Lord. She continued to raise her kids up in the way of the Lord. What about Ernie here? Well, Ernie takes his kids to church. Ernie could beat you in a Bible trivia quiz. He, he knows the Word. He could argue in times with you. He, could, he, could, he is very knowledgeable. He even prays in public sometimes because, you know, that's how blessings come. Uh, bless this food. Bless. All of his prayers kind of sound very similar because they're kind of memorized. That's Ernie. He's got those three teenagers, and, and my goodness, life with teenagers is tough. But And, and the... He's pretty sure they're dabbling with sex and drugs, but you know, that's the world we live in. You just got to hope for the best. That's the life of Ernie. Kate, praise God, she don't have kids yet because she's more interested in her career and making that thing work. And if she can uh, reason this relationship with God, it is, uh, I, I, he's out there, but I don't really think I can know him. I'm going to go by what society says is more beneficial for me. And if that will promote me in this business world, then that's what I'm going to do. So we can recognize that maybe I'm not exactly like one of them, but spiritually I am exactly like one of them. And so I need us to understand that there are times in our life where a breakthrough is about to happen, but you can also do nothing and not experience it. How does it happen? Number one, with awareness. Where are you sitting? Where are, what chair are you in today? And so I, I want to point out through the Scriptures, it's over and over and over again, and if you know the Bible a little bit, you're going to know these names. As I said, Joshua, the elders, and then their children. But there's also Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was fully committed to the Lord. 
Isaac was committed to the Lord, kind of. And Jacob was the rebel. <laughs> Thank God that God got his attention. Amen. I, I guarantee if you're a Christian, you may have been in all three of these. It's possible I have been in all three. I've been there, there, and there. I'm going to tell you the most miserable chair to, live, to sit in. You might think the most miserable chair to sit in is this one, and you'd be wrong. A lot of y'all are already shaking your head. Nope, it's this one. You just got just enough Jesus to make you miserable. You got the Holy Spirit living in you, and yet you got some unholy compromise living in you. And so this person might be more conflicted with this than that person. This person is in conflict with God, for he is at enmity with God. They, they, they are totally at odds with one another. This person is in conflict within because they're not committed to the Lord, and they know that he is God and that he is good. But we still got some areas in our life that have just got, the enemy was hard to uproot out of that one. It was hard to uproot. So we're just going to say, I think I've got it whooped for now. We're just going to let it continue. Does that make sense? Here's another one that you might recognize in the Bible. Maybe everybody would, would know this one. There's King David. God said, David was a man after my own heart. He was committed to the Lord. Who would be in this chair? His son Solomon. David's son Solomon. David's son Solomon watched King David and watched what it looks like to see a man after God's own heart. And, 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 and Solomon wanted the blessings of the Lord and he got them. He got them. In fact, as David passes away and Solomon becomes the king of Israel and, and inherits this awesome kingdom, uh, he, the Lord asked him, Solomon, what do you want? Pray for it, I'll give it to you. Solomon said, I want wisdom so that I can help govern God's people and do it well. God says, Solomon, you did good in that prayer. Hey, y'all ever had one of those prayers where God said, oh, you did good? And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Solomon, you did good in that prayer. I am going to give you that wisdom, but I'm going to give you the two things that you could have asked for, power and money. I can, I, I, you could have asked for power and prosperity. You didn't. You asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you all three. So he said, though, with warning, but don't you start accumulating a bunch of stuff, specifically horses. No, I like horses. I've accumulated horses. At one time, I had over 20. I had a problem, <laughs> but you need to understand that, that, that horses in this day meant power, not just prosperity, but also power. And you'd have to kind of form a relationship with Egypt to get your horses. And, and I've seen King Solomon's stables there in Megiddo in Israel, and he had thousands and thousands and thousands of horses. But it, for him, it meant power and prosperity. But then he said, God also warned him, said, don't you go taking a bunch of wives. Don't you go taking a bunch of wives, Solomon. It will be your downfall. And, and yet Solomon loved the ladies. And so he, <laughs> he, he took a bunch. In fact, almost a thousand ladies in all. And with his thousand ladies, they also had numerous pagan gods. And so as he began to give his love toward these ladies, he also gave his affection and his attention to their gods. So he knew, he knew who the Lord was, and he knew the goodness of our God, but there's this other stuff too, and that has kind of its own benefits, and so he began to compromise. And he has a son named Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam did not follow the Lord at all. In fact, Rehoboam uh, led the nation of Israel. By the way, David united the nation of Israel. After Solomon died, it was divided, and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, did not follow the ways of the Lord or his granddaddy David. And that's the general slide. And so, if you are committed to Christ, can I warn you that if you do nothing in that in neutral, you will drift that way. And, and it may be that it won't be long until you are sitting in this chair, and rather than looking like you're your relative over here in this chair, you look more like your neighbor over here in this chair. And if you're okay with that, whatever, but can I warn you, your children will be in that chair. Next generation will be in that chair. Almost guaranteed. That's the drift. You see it over and over and over in Scripture. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So if you are here and you're a second chair Christian or you're a second generation Christian and, and you knew that your mother and your dad they loved and served the Lord but you have got some hand-me-down faith can I encourage you you need your own faith you, you don't need to be like the elders who served the God who Joshua loved you need to be your own man your own woman who serves the God who you love and that you're committed to that you have a personal relationship with him otherwise you'll continue to drift Second generation. And then guess what? Your grandkids, they won't even come to know the Lord. I had not grandkids yet. I'm not in a hurry, by the way. Not in a hurry. So uh, <laughs> just pointing that out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but but you know what's going to make this grandpapa really happy? Is when he gets to see his grandchildren know the Lord. You know what would crush my spirit? is to know that my compromise led to their judgment. Crush me. To know that, that uh, yeah, you know, I, I had a relationship with the Lord, but when it came to who actually ruled my life, well, that would be self. Julia, when it comes to decisions, Christ rules her, Lord, her heart. He's the Lord of her life. And, and so upon the throne and authority of her life, it's the Lord. Jesus but upon Ernie well yes he's saved maybe he makes decisions by the Bible unless we think that maybe that just doesn't make sense anymore because we're at a different age now he, he kind of weighs out between reason and the Bible and so Ernie is one who is so we must be careful. We will drift that way if in, if we're not intentional. And so I want to point out some things that just real quick. I got I got six points. I know that's way more than I normally do, but I got six points here. That if you were writing things these things down, this would be a good time to get ready. Again, anytime there's a breakthrough happening, I, I think two things have to happen. I need to number one be aware of my current condition, and maybe right now you're aware of your current condition. What chair do you sit in? And then number two, there's action that needs to be taken. So let's start with this. Number one, diagnose your situation. Is breakthrough needed? And if you're sitting in this chair, then the answer is yes, it's needed. And can I tell you, I just know that the majority of the people in this room are in this chair. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Because I've been doing this long enough that I know it. Because statistics tell us, and I know it. Or because I know people, and I know it. And so the majority of the people in this room are sitting in this chair. So the question is, do I need a breakthrough? The answer is yes. 
Yes. Yes, and so if you're aware that you're there, then yes, you need a breakthrough. So number two, I need to define what that looks like. What does it look like? What does that look like? What is a breakthrough in my life to, to move in this direction? What can you, can you envision what that begins to look like? Number three, I need to describe the obstacles that are before me. It may be exactly why you're here, because there's obstacles and it was really hard to uproot those people out of that land. It was really hard to uproot those pagan people for this group of elders. And so they just let them stay. It was really hard to get past that hurt, that habit, that hang up. So I'm just going to let it stay. So maybe I've got, maybe I got it working for me now. But it's still part of my life. What is it? What does, I need you to, to help describe the obstacles that you face, what stands in your way. Number four, discern the truth. Discern the truth. What it could be is that you've just been buying a lie. And, it, and most often, the lie that you buy is this is what God is like. God is dif- distant. God is hard. God is harsh. God is judgmental. God is cold. He's indifferent. That's the lie that we often buy that moves us from an understanding of who he is to just kind of a distant. But you need to understand, it's a lie. Satan wants you to believe that's who God is. But I'm going to tell you who he is. He's a good, good father. He's a loving father. He's a caring and compassionate God who wants to know you and wants you to know him. He wants you to know every facet of who he is. He wants to be able to unveil to you more of himself. But if you think, if you continue to buy the lie, then why would you want, just like Adam and Eve, they ran from God because they knew he was a judgment God and that he's going to correct them. And and that's exactly what we do. We want to run from him. But let me tell you, you need to discern the truth. The truth is God is good. God is love. In fact, it's not just what he does. The Bible says God is love. It's who he is. Amen. And then number five, you need to decide, decide to follow through. It's a decision. Not just a knowledge that you come away with today. Well, I have, a, I have a knowledge now that I'm a second chair Christian. That's not something you brag about, by the way. I have a, a knowledge now. And, and so guess what? Now it's time for a decision. I want to do something about it. And that's the final step. And that is that you do something. And it may be as simple as walking the aisle today and say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a second chair Christian, but I'm going to, I'm going to commit to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I'm going to commit to follow Him. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a change in my life. Instead of just coming to church sporadically, I'm going to come to church continuously. Instead of just attending a worship service, I'm actually going to join a small group. Instead of just uh, just kind of dabbling with uh, uh, reading a devotion here and there, I'm going to devote myself to the Word of God. Do something. But there will be no breakthrough if you just take home knowledge and apply no action to it whatsoever. Now, we've really just been talking about this chair. But if you're in this chair, can I encourage you to do something even more dramatic than that? It may not be very dramatic in the action you take, but it will be dramatic at what happens happens inside of you. That is that you give your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do, there is a transformation that takes place. And it may be that, that you, 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 move, you make a big jump 
over here. And you're just here for a little bit because you're growing and you, you haven't yet fully understood the goodness of our God. But if you continue to, you'll be over here and you'll find out the goodness of our God and you'll never desire to get back in that chair again. That's what I pray for you today. Let's all stand together. We're going to have a, a time where we invite you to take some action. As you follow the Lord, God will lead you toward wholeness and love. His Spirit will guide you into opportunities to put Him first. And that's what we want you to do. Father God, I pray that today we will recognize, we'll become aware of our spiritual position, condition, situation. We'll become aware of it. And Father God, that we will do something. We will decide, commit to do something. Because we won't do a thing if we don't commit to do it. The easiest thing to do is nothing at all, but it also brings zero rewards. So God, I pray that you'd stir our hearts today. and Pray that we would not be satisfied with anything less than intimate relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.